you want to get the latest news about our podcast, including upcoming episodes, exclusive content, and live events, visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's you being you, you know, and sometimes you might be, again, feeling alone in the world, but when you start hearing people like email you or comment and other type of stuff, it means that there are people listening and while you might feel like a weirdo from wherever you're from, you'll find out there are other weirdos too. And there's times that is really, really nice. And especially if you may be having a rough week or a rough day, you getting that one comment of thanks for putting out the show, I really appreciate it. I had a really bad time. I really enjoyed, you know, listening to this for a certain period. Or just somebody saying they enjoy it. That, like, gives you a nice boost. Welcome to It's All Journalism and our 300th episode. Happy 300th episode, Nicole. Woo! Yeah, I know. I feel like we should have cake or something. Uh, we should have gotten the cake and put 300 candles there we go. on it. And, and just, like, hey, it's really great. But we did do something special what did we do we uh recorded a live podcast i was on a panel we did you were featured on the panel uh, well i was on the panel a uh podcasting behind the mic to who what and where it was put on by humanities dc jill olmstead a journalism professor at american university invited me to be on the panel along with alicia montgomery of npr's morning edition and mary nichols of the Fusebox radio broadcast Sounds like a cool lineup. <laughs> it does sound like a cool lineup. Lineup. So we're kind of recording this intro before the actually happened. So we trust that it turned out to be a good thing. But uh, we if it trust out, that it wasn't a train wreck. Yeah, it's a train wreck. So you're gonna have to make that judgment. But uh, we're really happy that we've uh, made the uh, 300th milestone. I think we've still got a, a lot of good podcasts ahead of us. We've got some great stuff lined up for the next few months. So sit back and enjoy this live podcast. 300 more to go. Yes, at least. Hello and welcome to Humanitini. This is a free monthly happy hour conversation in bars and restaurants in our DC community. I'm Jill Olmsted, your moderator for tonight. I'm a professor at American University in uh, journalism, teach mostly broadcast news, and was a television and radio uh, anchor and reporter. This evening um, is part of Humanities DC, which awards grants for projects that document, preserve, and interpret our city's really unique history and heritage and culture. And we are DC's affiliate for the Endowment for the Humanities. Tonight we're gonna talk about a new community ecosystem uh, of podcasting. We're gonna do a little on the who, the what, the where, the why. Hopefully some questions from you, and we have a very wonderful guest panel that I'll introduce in a moment. Do we have some podcasters out here? I hope so. Yes, great. Any wannabe podcasters? Okay, there you go. All right. We wanna thank Busboys for hosting us. I also wanna thank Double R Productions with helping me with this PowerPoint. And like to also thank the, the board members uh, for Humanities DC. I wanna introduce now our panel. 
Alicia Montgomery deserves special kudos because she works the early morning shift. I mean, she sent me a text at 4 o'clock in the morning, so I don't know what time she gets up, but she's a senior producer for NPR's uh, Morning Edition. Code Switch is her baby, and she'll talk about that. It is a podcast about race and culture. Go, yes, Code Switch. She was also uh, an editor of that wonderful show with Michelle Martin, Tell Me More, and has been a reporter for various publications, uh, anything from the New York Times Magazine to Salon, NAACP uh, periodicals. Mary Nichols, AKA DJ Fusion, is a podcaster, a host, a writer, a speaker, a photographer, she got her start really in doing broadcasting and, and, and uh, music in college when she was at Rutgers. She has a passion for black music and for bringing in diverse voices and independence. And she grew up locally here in Prince George's County. Michael O'Connell is senior digital editor at WTOP Federal News Radio. He has his own podcast. He also wrote the book. He wrote a book called Turn Up the Volume, which I'm sure he has some copies if you are interested in buying a copy and taking it out on the, on the, on the back lawn or uh, at the coffee shop or whatever. And from that, he, he was asked to write that textbook, which is, which is, it's a, not a textbook, it's a book about podcasting, but has a lot of useful information in a very digestible form. And he also created a course that we teach at American University in the weekend program on podcasting. Hi guys, thanks for coming and, and oh, we have people out there now, welcome. Hey. Hi Troy, how you doing? <laughs> okay, so Alicia, let's, let's start off with a, a first question about the birthing of Code Switch. What created this? Tell us about it. Well, you know, I, I am honored to be here and to speak about Code Switch, but like so many of these kinds of efforts, it's a team effort. And the reason why Code Switch became a podcast and a very successful one from the start is because we had reporters who produced material that people felt like they couldn't get anywhere else. And they wanted to spend more time with our reporters and hear more about their perspectives. And so the birth of, of Code Switch, the podcast, came from the talent of our the journalists who were a part of that team, from Shireen Marisol Maraji, from Jean Demby, from Karen Grigsby Bates, Adrian Florido, Kat Chow, and uh, Tasneem Raja. So first, I just want to give them the credit. The other thing that sort of created Code Switch that I think a lot of podcasts have in common is that these are stories that people want to hear and feel like they can't get anywhere else. And it's from the perspective of the people who feel unheard or feel misheard or feel like they're given sort of a very small chunk of time to tell their story when everybody else gets sort of an open space. So, I mean, our audience, the audience for Code Switch really created Code Switch. Mary, talk about creation of yours, where it came from. 
basically the creation of the show for me came from going to school um, at Rutgers, shout out to the New Jersey, New York metro area, and all of that. I see some hands up, that's what's up. I essentially became very tired of quote unquote urban radio at that time. People who are familiar at the hot 97s and all of that, I was tired of that back in 96, 97, 98. So I went to my school's, um, one of those orientation student things, and I ran into the radio station. And they ended up giving me a late night slot, not knowing that my dorm was literally right across the street from the station. I think they expected me to quit. And I just essentially kept doing it. And later on, I met up with um, my partner, um, John, um, also known as the Black Hawk on the show. And it was essentially just one to have a mix of diverse music in general that you don't, you know, had to hear the same top 40 all the time. And also just having regular, as we say, regular black people opinions. Like you're not always preaching. And at the same token, you know, it's not always being loud or gossipy or being the imitation of whoever is um, new out. So for whatever reason, I've been doing this for 20 straight years. And um, I've been, um, thank y'all. This month is actually the anniversary of the show. My mom says I could have had children and other stuff, but I have a 20-year-old show. And um, been podcasting pretty early because I've always was into technology. And one of the things that sounded cool to us was that, oh, somebody who isn't around the metro area we're at can download this show and check it out. And for the people whose music we're playing and interviewing, we could tell them you can send this link to people and um, check things out on that end. And that was when everybody was like, podcasting is for nerds, what's an RSS feed? You held up the um, iPod and you know that was a whole thing for a minute before we got into the current smartphone generation. Yeah, it's taken people to a lot of places and a lot of things and it's really um, been a blessing. Great, Michael, journalism is your profession by day it, and apparently you're doing this at night too on It's All Journalism. Yeah, yeah, I apparently don't need any time to sleep or spend any time with my family. This is uh, kind of my second life podcasting. I'll tell you the whole sob story. I'll try to make it really quick. I was uh, 49 years old. I was a managing editor at a community newspaper, and I hated my job. I hated everything about my job. I was producing newspapers. You know, this was contraction in our, in our industry. I was uh, working harder than I ever did to put out a product that I didn't like. And I needed to change my life. And uh, the quick answer, no, it was not podcasting that changed my life. I went back to school. I went to an American university in their interactive journalism program. And every Saturday, it was a Saturday program, eight hours a day, experts, working journalists from around DC would come in and tell us about the innovative work that they were doing because our industry was in flux. It's still in flux. If you watch the daily news, you see what's happening to journalism right now. And uh, as that program was winding down, uh, you know, I'd gotten a job at, at uh, Federal News Radio. A couple of classmates and I, uh, who also worked at the radio station, decided that we wanted to continue those conversations that we were having. And because we thought it was important, not just for us, because we, you know, we liked getting that information, but there were lots of people around the country who were in similar positions like us, who were in newsrooms that they were unhappy. With, with what they were seeing going on, and they wanted to try new technology, new ways of telling stories, new ways of um, reaching out to audiences, and you know, bringing new voices to, to the discussion. And so we launched It's All Journalism in August 2012. We are about to post, and it provided the audio is good on this, this uh, evening's discussion, this will be our 300th episode. And we've, we've been doing it every week since 2012. And it's been a, a great experience. 
I will say this, if you have a passion for anything and you think you want to do podcasting, do podcasting. I always tell anybody, if you're doing any creative endeavor, do it, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more value to you in your life than, than you're going to think. You may not be a quote-unquote success by some people's standards. You may not have 10 million downloads like Serial. You may only have 150 downloads, but you'll have an audience that, that you're speaking to who wants to listen to you, and it's going to be an enriching, rewarding experience. Let's talk a little bit about the process that you go through and the ideas, because I think most of us could do like 10, but what happens after 10? Where do the ideas, do? Are, are they constantly flowing and you see no end, or does that worry you? So we'll go down and find out about your, the creative process and coming up with content. Well, for me, it's, it's pretty easy. And that's actually one of the nice things about doing a podcast. It's, it's my career. I have a lot of contacts in the industry. I get a lot, you know, I subscribe to a lot of uh, newsletters. I see stuff on social media, you know, um, from Neiman Lab, uh, Columbia University, places like that. And it's whatever topic particularly interests me. If I see somebody that, that's written about something that I think that my audience would be interested in, I'll reach out to them, send them an email usually. Sometimes I reach out on social media. And you'll be surprised at how many people will say yes. The trick is to be adaptive. You know, you know if you say, well, I, I can only interview you on, on Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Well, it tends to be if you have a really good guest, they're very busy people. So you're going to have to be flexible. And it's, you know, it's, it's being patient, it's being dogged, you know, just keep sending out emails, reaching out to people, and uh, that's, how, that's the process of getting guests. Mary, do you run out of ideas? No, <laughs> luckily. Well, even if the days I feel dry, um, my partner, who's essentially my best friend, we like essentially to talk every day and chill out or whatever. We'll just go over various things that um, are of interest to us, whether it's serious news or pop culture or just random stuff in our lives. We'll try to do a basic structure, but sometimes we will just go off on a complete tangent. And then um, afterwards, we usually will just go into our different music mixes because uh, we're both DJs and stuff. So we tend to try to have the first um, third of the show be us just talking about various things and then the other two thirds being the music. So it's always like, well, you don't got to agree with anything we said the first hour, but you'll jam to the last two hours. And um, it's all good with the uh, weekly format. So I think the only thing that might get tiring is that um, we have other lives, we try to anyway, <laughs> beyond podcasting. And sometimes it gets a little exhausting, you know, being on the consistent format. But besides that, um, we've been blessed on that and just being kind of a still freeformish kind of show and being able to go off on different topics. So it never really runs dry, just more of what the balance is gonna be, whether it's a more serious show one day or, or a more just lighthearted, we're just shooting the breeze type of show. Do you hear from your audience? Yes. Our audience is very opinionated like we are. And um, it gets to being very unique, the things that make people very excited or very, very upset. We've had people get very upset at us talking about empire. We've also had people get very upset at us talking about um, political stuff. Like um, we had an interview segment on um, socialism during the um, past election cycle. And we interviewed some different folks from um, some of the smaller third parties. And we had people bipartisanly going off on us because we weren't sweating Hillary, Bernie, or Trump. They're like, who are these guys? How dare you not like, 
we're supposed to be trying to give different information about why people got into things. And ultimately, sometimes you're like, thank you for the feedback, but y'all gonna have to settle down a little bit because um, this is, you know, 100% our show. We've been um, independent all the time. We've been doing things and um, yeah, I mean, luckily it's, you know, again, it's, it's a blessing. Alicia, the creative process, uh, do you, do you have a whole staff of people that are professionals, but do you also get from your audience? Yes. When you have a podcast, one of the things that's different about podcasting versus sort of regular journalism is that you have that feeling of intimacy with the audience. The audience is supposed to feel like they're part of the conversation with you. And so they feel free to tell you when they're really excited about something. And they also feel free to tell you when they think that you've missed the mark. And a lot of the stories that came through um, Code Switch um, while I was there and after I, I moved on to something else were the result of people in the audience writing in to say, you know, your show spoke to me and it reminded me of this. It reminded me of, you know, racial imposter syndrome where you're part of a racial group but you feel like you can't really play that card because you didn't grow up in the neighborhood or you don't speak the language or um, for all sorts of reasons. Or the explanatory comma episode of Code Switch and this was Yes, um, the explanatory comma is when you're listening to NPR and somebody says, Nollywood, this was the actual example, Nollywood, the Nigerian capital of film, you know, when do you explain something and when do you just expect the audience to go with it? And for people of color, the experience of just you're just expected to know and you know and I love NPR and I listen to a lot of NPR and that's why I know that Dylan going electric was a really important moment to a lot of people but nobody ex stops to explain that to you on the radio because you're just assumed that you understand it or you're gonna look it up but if you're a person of color there's an expectation that you're supposed to stop and explain to your audience you know, well, you know, so all of the non-black people in the audience, this is what we mean by um, a step show. Um, all the non-Latino people in the audience, this is what a quinceanera is. And so just that tug of war about what needs to be explained and what doesn't need to be explained, that was a big topic for the Code Switch audience. And, you know, that's the kind of show that you get to produce if you're listening, if you're in a relationship with the people who are downloading and it, it just kind of builds a community around, around your storytelling. Did the concept for Code Switch start as one thing and morph into another and then I'll, I'll have you all talk about that or has it stayed pretty steady with what you, the original idea? Um, yikes. Well, Code Switch was um, born as a unit at NPR um, five years ago. Goodness, uh, we were back in the building that is no longer there, just a block or so from here. So it was um, five years ago, maybe. And it was, um, it was a blog. You know, it was uh, strictly online. 
Um, then they got more radio reporting added to it, and the podcast was something that the audience was just, it was just begging for it. Um, I was at Tell Me More, which was, you know, speaking freely and honestly. It was considered the, the diversity show, where we uh, talked to people of color, to LGBTQ folks. And that show ended in August of, what year was that, 2014? And one week we ended, and 10 days later, Michael Brown was shot to death in Ferguson. And suddenly, there was an urgency about these conversations about race and difference. And for, um, and Code Switch was there. And so Code Switch and this was really a challenge for the unit, went from a space where there was a lot of conversation about sort of pop culture and race and um, sort of the experience of being a, um, a young person in a diverse environment to having to focus on one terrible police shooting after another. Um, and so, yes, it had to evolve because the story of race in the country was evolving and it was evolving fast. So, I mean, because it's not just um, a, a storytelling podcast, but a news podcast, it had to, to move quickly with that story. Michael, talk a little bit about the podcast community here in the DC area. There is an organization, and just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, if you're on Facebook, it's called the DC Podcasters, right? Mary and I are on it. Actually, I think we probably met through that. They also put on the uh, podcasting festival, it's usually in October or November, and there's a very robust podcasting scene here. And there are all types of, of podcasts. Some of them are very serious. I like to think mine's serious, but there are others that it's just two people you know, shooting shit, having fun. The, oh, I can't remember the name of this guy. There were these uh, two comedians I interviewed for my book, and what they do, it, it's, it's questionable advice from somebody, somebody. I, I forget what their names are. I'm, I'm really bad about this. But uh, what they do is they, uh, they drink, and then they answer three questions. And it's a brilliant podcast. It's about 30 minutes long. Some of the questions are very hard. Some of them are very easy, like, you know, what's your favorite color? And so they'll sit there and they'll debate for five or 10 minutes about what their favorite color is. They'll make jokes. And, and sometimes, they'll, you know, they'll take questions from their audience that somebody will send into them. And, you know, it, it could be like, you know, I, you know, I'm in a very uncomfortable situation with my boss. You know, what should I do? You know, and so they, it's a really kind of an interesting mix with them because on the one hand they're, they're there to entertain and try to treat, treat it lightly but on the other other hand they, they're to provide what they feel is information to people so they have that that you know that approach to it but they're all types of podcasters um, one of the other podcasts that, that I'm a big fan of that's local that's that's Baltimore based is the Nerdpocalypse podcast and that's that's well how would you describe that Mary Nerdpocalypse is essentially them talking about a lot of things in pop culture from video games to comic books, movies, and more, and they just go all over the map with it. Um, really cool um, set of folks over at MPMP Studios. Definitely check them out. Yeah, yeah, and they actually have a, a network. I, I know the last time I think it was six or eight different podcasts that they produce. And the great thing about that, it, it sort of speaks to, I think, something Alicia was talking about, is, 
you know, you get to speak to your audience. That's the, the greatest thing about podcasting. You know, you work, you know, I work for a radio station, I work for mass media, and the news that you put out, the stories that you tell, the fact that you have to explain things to a larger audience that may be very niche. I mean, podcasting lives in the niche zone. You can t talk about something very specific. You know, Nerdpocalypse, I, the, one I, the one I mentioned, you know, they, they get really de you know, deep in pop culture about all, all the latest comic books and movies and games that come out. And, you know, they're very, you know, very vocal, they're very funny. It's, people like hearing that, you know. Authenticity is the coin of the realm in podcasting. People recognize that people are hungry for that now. They don't want an overly produced piece of, of media and entertainment anymore. And the fact that it's free and that it's accessible and that it, anybody can do it and that anybody can pick up a microphone, anybody can pick up their phone and record it and podcast within a half hour, I mean, that's, that's free. You know, you don't, you don't have somebody who represents your point of view, your voice, well then go do a podcast and find other people out there who, sh who want to hear your voice and who share your opinions. It's the great thing about it. You know, that's part of the fascination of podcasts is that actually, even though it was kind of perfected by the big giants, the NPR, the professionals, they were really kind of reinventing themselves because of what was happening in the media business. But then the local person, and, and I wanted to ask you both, I mean, it seems to me it could be a lonely enterprise to be a podcaster. So do you feel alone or do you feel like there's a community supporting you? It can feel lonely sometimes because there are days you're just there like, I'm just talking into this microphone. There are thousands of podcasts out here right now. You'll see the articles like the serial and everything. You probably was like, oh, so-and-so got yay million downloads. I'm just like, yeah, I got a few thousand. Holla back. But you got to look at the fact of a few thousand people or a hundred or whatever are actually listening to you because you're being you. Like with our show, we are the exact same people you hear on the show. So hopefully that doesn't frighten nobody, but that, that is what it is. But we get people who listen to us and, you know, engage and care about your opinion. And that's a really... Um, cool thing and there's times with podcasting you'll have people reach out to you who you would never in a million years think listen to your show and I know for myself one of the biggest opportunities I received was doing a um, TEDx talk a few years ago in Orlando because we were actually reaching out to them about doing some music for their post event and they emailed back like you are really opinionated. Would you like to be a part of TEDx Orlando? We'll fly you out here and get you a hotel and stuff. And I was like, yeah, because I never thought that somebody like me would even be thought of with something like that. But that just took somebody sitting down and listening. And it was from an audience I completely didn't expect. And you know, I'm not trying to be stereotypical or anything, but the people who held us were really nice old white people. And there's times we get very, very, very into us being black with certain topics. So it was just there like, wow, this is really awesome. And that opened up a whole new world for the show in general and us eventually actually getting to doing a formalized business with um, music, speaking, photography, writing, and um, so forth. So um, yeah, I think the thing about podcasting Michael said perfectly is it's you being you you know and sometimes you might be again feeling alone in the world but when you start hearing people like email you or comment and other type of stuff it means that there are people listening and while you might feel like a weirdo from wherever you're from 
you'll find out there are other weirdos too. And there's times that is really, really nice. And especially if you may be having a rough week or a rough day, you get in that one comment of, thanks for putting out the show, I really appreciate it. I had a really bad time. I really enjoyed you know, listening to this for a certain period. Or just somebody saying they enjoy it. That like, gives you a nice boost. So sometimes when you're into the minutia of editing and recording and stuff, you can feel a little crazy because while podcasting is getting bigger, it's still not, I guess, the huge form of mass media on a respect level yet. Like People still talk about podcasting like it's like five podcasts that are awesome and then there's a whole bunch of other people. And that's not true, but um, I think a lot of the thing is right now we do have podcaster communities online and within our own local areas and even little stuff like that where you get bits of encouragement from other folks can help you be less lonely. So, you know, give it a start, you know, give it a push and you know, just go ahead and see where things go. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I wanted to talk about, we've thrown some numbers around here, millions of, of downloads, et cetera. If you go home and start a podcast, if you get 10 million podcasters, please give me a call, or <laughs> listeners, give me a call, and tell me how you did that. We talk about these big numbers. You also have to think that you have to look at, you know, who NPR is, who some of these podcasting networks are. They're businesses. They need, they need that volume of downloads. So and they have marketing platforms that are very different than what most podcasters can access. And the beauty of podcasting is it is, it is still, you know, it's still a medium of the people. You can create content that, and you can market it to a, to a specific audience and speak to them. You do not have to have 10 million downloads to, um, to be successful. Ear Hustle, has anybody listened to Ear Hustle? It's a great podcast, it's put out by Radiotopia. It comes out of San Quentin Prison in California. I highly recommend that you listen to it. It's incredibly well produced. Two of the producers on it are prisoners at, at, at the prison. And we had Nigel Poor, who was uh, the producer, or one of the producers on uh, our podcast. And we got talking about audience size and about, about money making and whatnot. And she's had, you know, f the first season of, of Ear Hustle had five million downloads, which is, which is huge. But, and she's like, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of money. I'm not making, you know, I'm not, where's my, where's my Blue Apron uh, uh, contract? Uh, I'm not getting that. So you go into podcasting because you love it. And the success is what you want to measure it toward. You know, it's not necessarily monetary success. I got a book deal out of it. I didn't make a lot of money on it, but I got a book deal out of it. I, I'm here talking to you people. There are opportunities that open up for things like this. So you kind of have to need to, to change your perspective of what success is in the podcasting world. Passion. Um, I want to give a chance to folks, uh, so a couple of things. Do we have some questions out there? Be thinking of some things. And then also, would you like to make specific points that I haven't asked you about? Yes. And this is a challenge for broadcasters too, which is there's a difference between a conversation that's really fun to be in and a conversation that's really fun to listen to. And sometimes when you're doing a podcast, and, and hey, sometimes when you're doing a conversation on a network like NPR, it's like the people who are in the conversation, they're having a great time, and everybody else, you don't know what anybody's talking about, they're laughing at their own jokes, and it's just like, <laughs> will somebody you know, remember that I'm in the audience? So when you're having a great time producing your podcast, you might just want to check it with not some kind of critic, but just with a friend who's, you know, 
who can listen to it and say, I didn't really get what you just said, or that joke didn't seem as funny as you seem to think it was, just to get your, yourself some perspective. I would say listen to your audience, but don't necessarily have them totally control you. You are not their puppet. They can, and I mean, they can give you good feedback on, oh, hey, the audio sounded like this way, or as was perfectly stated, sometimes y'all could be having a great conversation, and they're like, what in all the hell are you talking about? So you try to like curve conversations and stuff in that mode. Like, yeah, keep your balance in terms of your audience and things, because your audience is not going to always agree with you, and that is perfectly okay. Also, I would say the main thing to do on top of keeping with your passion is have decent equipment. You don't need to have the most fancy microphone or fancy mixer or whatever else, but you know, you're doing something that's still a highly audio format. You know, have everybody be able to hear you clearly and stuff like that. You know, you can get decent USB mic for about 50 to 70 something dollars. You just wanna plug it in and start off with that first and build up. I know with the sheet that's being handed out, there's like a list of a whole bunch of other things folks could get into. And then I would just like to say, take advantage of the fact that we all go through the same distribution channels, whether you're NPR or you're indie like me or anybody in between. We all got iTunes, Stitcher, Radio Public, Podcast Addict, plenty more. Submit your podcast to as many things as possible, but definitely some of the more you know popular ones. So people who might not know one thing are just they're like, oh, I know iTunes right off the bat. I know this one right off the bat. And um, yeah, just keep pushing and striving and enjoy the audience you have. A hundred people listening is still a hundred people listening. You know, if we get to the millions, congratulations. As Michael said, let me know how to get these millions. I want to get some extra advertising deals and stuff like that. Just meet up with other people and um, we have tons of access on the internet now to connect with um, fellow podcasters, you know. Ask people some things, you know, be polite and everything, and um, you'll meet up with some cool folks and maybe one day be able to do something cool like this. The barrier for entry from a technical standpoint is incredibly low. The equipment that's available to you, you're starting with your iPhone your, or your digital recorder, it's not going to bust the bank. So when you start out with a podcast, a lot of people are really concerned about the technical aspects. They're asking a lot of questions about what microphones are using, what, you know, how should I record it? All these things are important, but the thing that's going to spell a successful podcast for you is thinking about what you want to say, who your audience is, and what the format of it is. You know, think about the structure. Think about something, what, what you would be interested in listening to, and put your effort into in those things. And then also... You know, we didn't do this, but I would certainly recommend start out with a business plan. If you don't plan to, to make money, like, like apparently I, I did, um, you can go ahead and podcast to your heart's content. But if you want to make money, it, figure out a way to do that. Figure out how you're going to do that and set some goals for yourself. Likewise, come up with a marketing plan. Discovery is the hardest part about podcasting. You go to iTunes. There are millions of podcast episodes for you to download. What makes your podcast different than every other one? iTunes, the iTunes store is like any supermarket. You're a can of soup. What makes your soup better than all of these others? Associate your soup with somebody else's soup. Put it on a shelf with others. You know, get yourself discovered. That's the hardest, one of the hardest things in podcasting. Speaking of which, feel free to order up more food and drinks, right? Okay. What was your question? Hi, I'm Fiona. I just wanted to know... How much production hours is it? What is the difference between recording hours and production hours? 
we do a weekly podcast and we're constantly working on the podcast and what I say by that is we're constantly reaching out for people we're constantly looking at ways to to spread the podcast out so it's a, it's it's a second kind of full-time job the actual physical recording you know that usually takes less than an hour I found that probably double what you your recording time is what you're gonna need to edit it beyond that then you have to you have to post it online you have to make sure it gets distributed you have to put it out on social media so there are lots and lots of little steps it's not just putting a microphone in somebody and putting it online lots of things to do are people allowed to take like segments of your podcast and air it without your consent are you asking for that right now if I started a podcast, oh, my name's Ashley, by the way, and if somebody I didn't like, like another podcaster, like, are they able to like use my my podcast? I'm just just thought of that question. I, I, I will just answer this: respect intellectual property rights. If you want your intellectual property respected by other people, then do not take other people's content. Do not take other people's music. You don't own that music. With the first question, it varies in terms of post-production and actual recording. I know for us, it could take anywhere from three to five hours to record. We usually block it out. Post-production actually doesn't tend to be too long. The promotion part tend to take a bit more time. With the second question, I think it's always good to ask. Ask and, you know, do some accreditation or whatever. Say, you know, say it and, you know, maybe put it in the show notes. Because, I mean, that could be cool cross-promotion. But to just, like, take wholesale chunks, um, again, respect intellectual property. Like, it's not cool to take, like, about an hour of somebody's show and not even give any credit to it. Because people put in a lot of work to that. At NPR, when we were producing Code Switch, there were a lot of very late nights. It depends on what you want from the episode. And if you want something that's going to have five interviews, you know, and you need to find the best black police chief, or you need to find the best reporter or researcher, you have lots of hours up front, you know, a day of somebody's work up front. And then, and this is true for just regular audio conversations that you're hearing on the radio, for every really enthralling four-minute conversation, it could have been actually eight minutes of talking, could have been two hours of background research, it could be three hours to cut it down, and so you multiply that by, you know, factor of two or three or four for a podcast episode. So it can, depending on what you're trying to get out of it, it can be very involved. And the second thing is, for Ashley's question, is I'm very glad that we have like a whole floor of lawyers at NPR who tell us what not to do. But no, it's, uh, part of it's just a golden rule thing. Don't do anything with anybody else's content that you wouldn't want done with yours. And just wholesale playing chunks of people's work on your own podcast without crediting them, without inviting them, without saying, hey, can you, you know, you want to stay away from that because maybe the people who you're lifting stuff from, maybe they have lawyers too, and you don't want to go there. My name is Brittany. Um, my co-host and I, we just started a podcast this year. It's called Black and Behind the Scenes, so go check it out. So my question is, do you have any tips or can you share any advice on how to build and cultivate an audience? 
Okay, um, building and cultivating an audience. Um, we are in the wonderful age of social media right now that did not exist beforehand. So folks already got their um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram together. Definitely um, do that. I would say try to maybe network with um, podcasters who do similar stuff because most podcasters listen to podcasts. And they visit, they're like, hey, this podcast is cool, you know, let, I'm going to recommend them. And then things tend to, you know, build and go forth from there. I know there's super technical stuff like search engine optimization and all of that type of thing, but I'm just like, uh, gross. Get your natural growth with um, people. Yeah, have it go from there. And also attend these um, different um, local podcast events and conferences and things. You meet more fellow podcasters and just learning and having more people know that your podcast exists, everything is going to just have a natural climb up and growth. Forgive me if you know me. I'm going to make an America's Next Top Model reference. Does anybody here know America's Next Top Model? Okay. It's like Tyra says, you know, you've got to make your own wind. So when you walk down the runway, you know, you're bounce, your hair's bouncing and behaving. You need to book guests who make their own win. Part of building a network and an audience for your podcast is having people on who know how to get the word out about stuff that they're doing. So if you've got, let's say that you've got a Twitter following of 300 folks. Well, maybe you look for people who have a Twitter following of 400 or 500 or 1,000. And that way you get sort of that exponential growth. If you've got three people on as guests on your podcast who each have a network of a thousand folks who don't normally, you know, who don't might not know you, then you can start building your audience that way and it gets word of mouth and more people want to be on your podcast that way. Look for opportunities to share your expertise. If you're doing a podcast, if you're a lawyer, you know, maybe you you can reach out to a publication or something and talk about I'm gonna, I can write an article about X and I also happen to do a podcast and sort of associate it that way that use your expertise to draw attention to your podcast. Also, I mean, look for marketing opportunities, you know, something like this. I would imagine, hopefully, some of you are going to listen to my podcast because I'm here talking about my expertise. Look for opportunities to meet other people, get on other podcasts. But remember, you know, the plus side of getting on other podcasts is that you know that if they have a good size audience, those are people who listen to podcasts. And people are always looking for new podcasts to, to listen to. So it's an opportunity for you to get yourself known by people who are, who are already open to uh, maybe giving you a try. Question. Hi, my name's Tamika. Um, the question that I have is, when you talk about building a podcast and starting off with a, a business model, what three components would you say are the key factors that would go into building a business plan? Well, I guess I gave the advice, so I guess I need to come up with an answer. Uh, not having launched a podcast with a business model was not probably the smartest thing to do. But what I would do is I would set some goals for yourself, you know, and put places in it where you can sort of gut check. I do a weekly podcast. We set out to do a weekly podcast. We're going to do it. So this is going to run forever, apparently. But, you know, say, well, I'm going to do a six-episode podcast, and... Then I'm going to see how I can market that and see what type of audience that I, I can have with that. So, you know, once you've done the things I've already said, which were to sort of, you know, figure out what your format is, who your audience is, 
then you know set set a goal as to what how long you want your podcast to be you know how long in length but also how the duration of the episodes how many episodes you're you're going to do but to go back to the to the first point you know identify your audience i think that's that's key it's key to marketing but it's also key to helping you establish you know what you're going to be talking about you know when you get in front of that mic you need to be knowing knowing who the person you are that you're talking to there's a great podcast about marketing called Entrepreneur on Fire by John Lee Dumas. And what he does is he, he has a whole bio written out for his, his ideal podcast audience member. Uh, his name's Jimmy. He knows, he knows Jimmy's wife's name. He knows what Jimmy's job is, wh when he works, when he listens to the podcast. And so when he turns on that mic, he's thinking about Jimmy and what can I do in my performance that will make Jimmy stay interested and inform him. So that's um, identify your audience. The other thing I say, <laughs> and, and and then also you know, we're talking like from a business standpoint, set some realistic goals as to what you want to do. Identify, you know, possible forms of revenue. Whether it's you know selling swag, whether it's it's like having association with something like Amazon, the Amazon store, or you know, or maybe even hosting public events. So, you know, the third one being identify a, a revenue stream. The other advice I've read about is having a stash in the can, as we call it. So you have six to ten shows that are already done before you ever launch. Otherwise, you're going to fall behind way too fast. Your question. Hi, my name is Angela. This question is from Mike, uh, since you're in academia. I'm really wondering who is cut out really for this work, and I ask this because of this. As a kid, I used to listen to WMAL, and I used to listen to Paul Harvey, who was a war correspondent, and I listened to a lot of radio where they kind of painted a picture, like the big picture and this kind of thing. And it seems like, um, even though they were in a room by themselves, maybe a producer or someone else, they really paint a picture. It's really a story. So I'm wondering, you know, is there a Myers-Briggs? Is there something in a personality type? No, I'm, I'm really serious. Is there a personality type who's really cut out for this work? Is it a teacher? Is it a poet? Is it a public speaker? Is it an actress? Because, I mean, anyone can talk, but who is really cut out for this business? I work for a radio station, but I consider myself a digital journalist. Federal News Radio, which is the where I work, even though it has radio in the name, we're actually digitally focused. Most of our audience comes to our website, gets our information, I should say, through our website. We do have an audio component. It's sort of secondary. I do the podcast not as part of my job, but as something I do on the side. And so I've been able to observe uh, working, you know, radio people upstairs at WTOP, but also in, in my own office. And there certainly is a personality type. I mean, you, ha you have to have the ability to just talk and tell stories and relate to people and listen. And, you know, I'm surprised we've gotten this far. We haven't said listen. Listening is the most important skill you're ever going to have as a, as a broadcaster. It's important to be organized to do your research and, and have a list of questions to ask somebody that you're interviewing, but understanding what their story is, and then when you're in the moment and when you're in front of the microphone, listening to what they say, and in the moment, recognizing how you can make that into a, a narrative that is going to affect people. It's a skill, and, and you, you learn it just by, by doing it. But there is a degree of, of outwardness, I would imagine. I am relatively introverted, actually, as much as people may not believe that, <laughs> but um, when I'm passionate about something is when I get talkative. So I definitely think there's that part that comes into being, and then also just being confident in my words 
have a value, you know? Just because so-and-so's talking this way or has a particular style or another person talks another way or has a particular style, it doesn't mean that your style is bad. It's just what you do. You can always go forth and work on refining things via feedback from friends, family, and listeners. But um, I can't even necessarily say, uh, I said I hate Myers-Briggs tests, they are so weird to me. <laughs> but um, I can't necessarily say it's like, well, you gotta be an extrovert, this or whatever, that. You just gotta really, it, it sounds so stereotypical, you gotta have the self-confidence that I'm in front of a mic and I'm saying things because, not just because I'm feeling it, but I think somebody else is gonna get something from it. Actually, you just said something that made me think, what it really comes down to, the skill that you need, is the spotlight is on you and then now you have to dance. As soon as the microphone comes on, something clicks in you and, and you, deal, you have to deal with it in the moment. Somebody says something that you didn't expect. Oh my gosh, how am I going to react to it? How am I going to ask my next question? What do I do next? Okay, we may, we may have to, we're going to wrap up here in a couple of minutes. We have uh, one question. We'll try to, get, try to get two in, okay? See if we can get quick answers. Hi, I'm Danielle. I have a podcast called Everybody's National Parks. And um, I'm part of the DC podcaster community you mentioned. Thank you, Michael, for posting this event. And also, I'm ho if, you, if there are hikers or you know, park enthusiasts, I'm hosting a Twitter hiker chat tomorrow at noon um, on Twitter. But my question is, you're talking about listening. How do you listen to your audience? How do you get the feedback? I know I have an audience. It's not that big yet, but I'm with tomorrow and other opportunities. I hope it will grow. So that's my first question. And then the other question is best opportunities for monet monetizing. Patreon, sponsorships. I'm not going to get Blue Apron. So what are best options? Thank you. I don't have a whole lot of advice about how to make money because I make very little money directly. But what I, the people who I, I know who are, are, are successful at podcasting, podcasting is a side gig. You know, look at somebody like um, Adam Carolla. Um, yes, he's very talented. Yes, he's a comedian and whatnot. But he has a really big podcast and a really big podcasting audience. But, you know, that man, it's like he does everything. He uses the podcast to promote you know, the movies he's working on, the books he's doing, the gigs he's doing, he's not, nobody's paying him money for that podcast. Podcast is part of the bigger thing that he does. I got a book gig, I, I teach at American University because I have a podcast. I didn't make a dime off the podcast, but technically, these other things are providing me with income. So, it's, it, it's a side gig type of thing. Those are the ones that I see who, ma who make, who, who have success in that way. And as far as listening to the audience, you know, I'm sorry, I've had really poor experience in listening to the audience. We get, we get, we get some feedback on social media. Occasionally we get comments. I did a survey. I did a survey asking people how we could improve our po podcast. One responded. So it can be a lonely time <laughs> to be a podcaster. So just stay with it. I'm just going to quickly, uh, on listening to your audience, which is to make sure that you know the difference between a troll and a commenter. Because there's some people who are just will, once you give them your attention, they will suck your time like vampires. Truth um, and yeah, facts. Yes, but it's important if somebody is giving you like heartfelt advice, like that was a little long, engage with them. What people want to do is they want to be listened to. So if somebody gives you a comment, ask them a question, ask them to elaborate. And then, you know, and don't do it with everybody, obviously, but just a couple of people who can give you honest feedback and you develop that relationship, that's a good way. Final word, Mary? 
With that, I think the vast majority of things have been covered. Social media, if somebody is truly trying to be constructive, ask some questions, you'll get everything back. Um, monetizing, I mean, we've gotten donations and it's really awesome, but um, a lot of things have come from doing the podcast with um, us doing things on the creative events such as musicians, writing, and other types of stuff. Um, we've had people that they're like, I've listened to podcasts and I've heard y'all do these things. It's like, oh, money, hooray, you know, or I like y'all's music mixes. Let's um, hire you for this concert or this private party or whatever else, which has been um, a really big adventure for us during the um, past 10 years. So I want to know where these wonderful advertising companies are that are giving thousands of dollars to people. Let me know. But um, with the podcast, I think a lot of it is going to come from you doing different things that's gonna have people reach out to you and if economic wonderfulness comes from it, embrace it. Okay, can you thank our panel please? Alicia Montgomery, Mary Nichols, and Michael O'Connell. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. If you happen to be in Las Vegas on Tuesday, April 10th from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., at the Broadcasting Educators Association's conference, stop by Pavilion One to uh, check out the best practices for student audio production panel. I'm going to be on the panel along with Karen Henderson, Sam Sauls, and Kim Fox, who's the uh, person who organized the event. It should be a very useful panel for anybody who's interested in teaching audio two students in their classroom. I, of course, are going to be talking about podcasting, but uh, the other participants will be talking about different strategies to use to get students to embrace audio as a form of expression in journalism. If you're going to be there, stop on by, say hi. I'm looking forward to the event, and I think it's going to be really fun. It takes a lot of people to produce an episode of It's All Journalism. This week's episode was produced by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The Capital Culture Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Nania and Jason Fraley. We have a new podcast called Capital Culture. Each week we go in-depth with chefs like Marcus Samuelson and writers like Bon Appetit's Adam Rappaport. We'll also talk plays with Kathleen Turner, movies with Emma Stone, and music with Smokey Robinson. Not to mention some of your favorite WTOP voices. The Capital Culture Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Target USA podcast with your host, J.J. Green. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. That could touch the whole of the United States. ISIS. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to see an attack. This is J.J. Green. Join me each week for the latest on U.S. and international security on Target USA. The Target USA podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.